This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. It's the Blood Red podcast, courtesy of the Liverpool Echo. I'm Guy Clark. Thanks for joining us. A late sting against the Bees, but on the Reds go, heading to Porto, looking to make it two from two in the Champions League. Coming up, we'll talk courtesy's cracker, the weekend that was in the Premier League title race, and who Klopp picks for Porto. To do all of that, we have our Liverpool correspondent, Tool Paul Gorse, the face that runs the place, Joe Rimmer, and the O Theo Squires. Gents, I trust you're all well, and uh, well, one place to start Gorsty and that on Saturday at Brentford the three all draw what did you make of it? Liverpool 16 games unbeaten now in the Premier League dating back to to March for when they, they got beat by Fulham um, and I think across all of those 16 games I think this was probably the one where they performed the least certainly collectively Fabinho had probably his worst game in a Liverpool shirt and they and Matip look like players who have barely played in 2021 and, and that's Understandable, forgivable, you can accept that. Um, Andy Robertson was poor. Um, just pretty much to a man that there wasn't too many who showed up. Um, Sadio Mane had a bit of an off day. And yet Liverpool still managed to score four and could have had five or six. Um, but by the same token, Brentford could have certainly have had four, couldn't he? Um, kind of figured out Liverpool quite well in terms of the overload at the back post. Trent Alexander-Arnold was left isolated for the second and the third goals and the, the opening goal as well, you know, with Ethan Pinnock kind of peering up around the back post. It was seen to be a very deliberate tactic from Brentford all game and, and it worked for them, didn't it? So so fair play to them. I think if um, they play like that most weeks, they're going to have no danger of, of staying in this division and you just hope that um, they can replicate that kind of performance when they play at Chelsea or a City or maybe even a Manchester United. But um, yeah, no, get, no getting away from a bit of an off day for Liverpool and, and a strange one in terms of Liverpool going top before they'd even played because of Chelsea's defeat at Man City. Liverpool extended the lead at the top and, and you're still coming away from it feeling, you know, what if and should have and could have. So um, strange one for Jürgen Klopp, but he... Seemed to take it in stride. They didn't have too many complaints over too many decisions and just one that you have to take on the chin. And ultimately, Liverpool are still top and um, have got a chance to turn the screw on Sunday, haven't they? Is that the case, Joe, that I suppose when you kind of look back on a couple of seasons ago and that start Liverpool had to the campaign, pretty much winning all the games by the draw at Old Trafford, that that was a freak and isn't quite reality. And I suppose a couple of years ago, that would have been the game that would have probably been seen out 2-1 or 3-2, either of those. But we kind of forget sometimes there's another team on the pitch and, and give Brentford their dues. They, they played really well. They caused Liverpool a number of problems. Yeah, you know, I, I think it's that exactly it. And I, I thought there was a bit of a, an overreaction on, you know, in all parts, you know, on social media, you know, even amongst our, ourselves to an extent, because I think, like you've just said, Liverpool have raised standards to such an extent in the year that they won the league and the, the year that they came oh so close that, that drawing a game now suddenly feels like a defeat. And I don't think that's the case. I, I think this year, you know, I've seen a few people saying that they think it'll be a 90-odd point season for the Premier League winners. And I, I'm not so sure I agree because I think, I think you find that you know, Chelsea, when Liverpool and Man City competed and Liverpool won the league one year, City won it the previous year, you know, they were the two outstanding teams, weren't they? When, whereas I now think Chelsea have clearly got themselves a lot stronger, have come a lot closer. Um, Man United have obviously improved. So I, I don't think it's a case of one team's going to rack up 90 points and 
you know, or Man City, Man City and Liverpool are going to push each other all the way. I, I just don't see it being like that. I think that this year you'll see teams take t- points off each other. You'll see a lot of the other teams sort of competing and and, and points will be dropped. I mean, if you look at it, Liverpool drawing with Brentford there, so it, the, the manner in which it happened, you know, losing that late goal to make it 3-3 sort of makes it worse. But look at Man City's draw with Southampton. That's a, that's a lot worse result, you know, the way I look at it. You know, you're at home, a team like Man City dropping two points at home to Southampton. You'd be really frustrated. This one is ultimately... It's the sort of thing that I think happens sometimes. A team like Brentford, who've come up, got a bit of the wind beneath their sails, and you know there's a good atmosphere at their stadium. They're clearly up for it at this stage of the season and fancy it. There's always a bit of a danger. It reminds me that you know the Watford games, the opening day of the 2018, sorry 2017 2018 season, and when Liverpool drew three three there, and you, you saw some good attacking points. But they lost control at times, and whilst we haven't seen Liverpool play like that a lot since the likes of Van Dijk have come in. You know, it can still happen because teams can still have those sorts of days. And look, I thought Klopp was right in the in after the game. He said, you know, we, we could have won that four-two. You know, Liverpool could have scored a couple of goals there at the end. We saw a save from the goalkeeper, which was, you know, outrageous at one-one, wasn't it? When he when he saved from Jota. So on another day, Liverpool could have been could have gone into the half-time two-one up. Could have been four-two up before Brentford even thought about trying to score an equaliser. So. I don't think we should get too carried away, but I do think it was a warning for Liverpool. And the slight concern for me is that other teams of Brentford's ilk will look at that now and go, well, do we loop in some crosses and try and put them at that back post overload trend, cause Liverpool problems that way? So that, to me, is the main concern. But but I think the result, look, it's a point, but you're disappointed because of the, the manner that they conceded the, the late equaliser. But it's not the end of the world. And I think Liverpool... You know, they go and beat City next week and all's rosy again, isn't it? So, you know, I think there'll be a lot of twists and turns. I think it's far too early to, to worry about two points dropped. Yeah, was it the, the first time, you know, maybe since, obviously, Van Dijk returned, but even since he's, he's come to the club, we've kind of seen that defensive vulnerability, kind of saw a few people sort of saying that it was a throwback to the old rock and roll football days, kind of the, the Dortmund games, the Norwich City 5-4 as well, that it was really sort of helter-skelter stuff and, and Liverpool just in the end couldn't get control of it. And normally that's been such a strength of theirs under Jurgen Klopp and especially since Van Dijk's coming of, of going to the Lions then and just taking all the sting out of the game. But they seem to kind of get caught up in it on, on, on Saturday, sorry. Um, well, you've got to remember, Van Dijk was at centre-back when they conceded seven at Villa. It's not a it's necessarily new thing, but then you, these defenders, they've just come back from long-term injuries, haven't they? And yeah, you get adrenaline to carry you through those first few weeks, but then the longer the season gets on, it's going to take its toll more and more, and that'll be why Jurgen Klopp has rotated the centre-backs and given Van Dijk and Matip a rest every so often. You've also got Robertson coming back from injury as well. Like Granted, it's not anything as serious as the centre-backs, but an ankle injury can still be a nuisance to come back from. So it's one where you are going to get these, th- um, not freak results, but games where they are had at, to be, I suppose, where Liverpool aren't fully at the races. And it's just rust. It's what they've got to try and get used to and get rid of it. Like As the others have said, it's the, the fact they were so good when they were in the league. That was the freak. But no teams do it. They don't go and win every single game 
every single season. This is just the standards that have been raised to. It's not football manager. You can't save the game before it. And if the result doesn't go the way you want it to, restart, load again, and then have another go. You're just going to have to accept some draws along the way. And with Brentford and City games, it's one where if you go into the international break and you said you'd have four points from them, everyone will bite their hands off. Yet yeah, the point has come against Brentford. Liverpool now just need to make sure they get the win against City. And everything's rosy, as Joe said. But then they could be second tonight, couldn't they? Brighton could go top of the league. It's one of those, <laughs> Brighton aren't winning the Premier League this season. But telling you that now, it's not going to be like Leicester City, is it, when you've got the teams behind them? It's far too early for anything to be decided. It's just getting the rust out of the system for the centre-backs, accepting there are going to be some results like this and just making the best of it. Liverpool have been at the races against Brentford, but then we've seen United struggle in the last couple of weeks. Chelsea looks so good. And then they lost to City. City have dropped points to Spurs, Southampton. And that was a Southampton team that shipped nine twice in the past couple of seasons. There are going to be these sorts of results. And Liverpool are in as good a place as they can be heading forward into what we know is going to be a huge game next weekend. Yeah, interesting stuff. Right, because we've got Porto to talk about, let's pick out a, a few key themes from the game and, and just get into them before we move on. I think the biggest, Gorsty, maybe the talking point after the game, and Jurgen Klopp was asked about it in his post-match press conference, was the decision to bring off Curtis Jones. It seemed to have been made before he scored the goal, and then he got to do his celebration, and as he finished, what, me? I'm coming off? What did you make of it? Um. Looking back now, you could say it's a bit of a strange one, wasn't it? Obviously, it was decided a two-all. So Klopp's thinking, let's go 4-2-3-1 with all the four attackers on and try and win the game. Um, I don't know what the kind of protocols are behind making a sub in the Premier League, but um, was it too late to just have a little word with Delano and tell him that you're keeping it as it is and you're staying on or maybe even introducing a new midfielder? But as it was... Klopp kept it as it was. You can move Jotter over to the right. Salah was down the middle and he had the chances to be fair, didn't he? You know, if, if Salah puts that one away where he tries to chip Ray and lands on the roof of the net, you're looking at it thinking, job done. Um, change was done at the right time and whatever else. Um, Mane had a good chance. Um, Ray made another unbelievable save right at the end, didn't he? When it could have easily been a goal. So Liverpool had three pretty big chances once Curtis Jones had come off. But I just felt it was a game where Liverpool missed Thiago, to be honest. Um, and I, I didn't say it at 3 3. I, I said it midway through the game. I just felt that his um, composure, his control, his, his ability to get on the ball, play a few passes short and long, just basically slow it down and slow the tempo, take the sting out of it. I just felt that was missed. I thought Liverpool got dragged into a bit of a frenetic, you know, free for all of a game. And that was exactly what Brentford wanted. Knocking it long, going direct, playing on Mata, playing on Van Dijk with Tony, and um, ultimately they they got what they, they wanted, and Liverpool didn't. So, um, you know, there's been a, quite a lot of talk about Thiago already this season, but I think um, maybe in a weird way he's he's been taken for granted, and that was a game where Liverpool missed him, I thought. Although I did think Jones played well before he come off. Just felt Fabinho personally had, had a a massive uh, off day. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Joe, what was your take on kind of the, the, the midfield setup and, and how it did change with Jones coming off? Because as Gorsley said, it, it felt as though when the change was going to be made at 2 2, you could completely understand it. But then when it wasn't, 
Curtis Jones has kind of become this functional midfield player and a very reliable option as well for Liverpool. He seems to be one of these who touch wood, and I'll, I'll make sure I do, that he doesn't seem to pick up too many injuries. He's dependable and there to be called on by Jurgen Klopp when he needs him and can do whichever midfield role he needs. Did something a lot of people call out for, getting a goal from midfield for Liverpool. Then he comes off and it kind of changed the balance of the game. I just wonder with the injury to Thiago and, and Harvey Elliott as well, that Curtis Jones might be one of these players who needs to run in the team to work his way into some true form and can really become an asset. I mean, on Curtis Jones, 100% agree. I, I, I really, really rate him, really, really like him. You know, he's been usurped a little bit by by um, Harvey Elliott this season, hasn't he, in, in the sense that, you know, I think Harvey Elliott's the, the hot new thing that's that's come in and obviously is a, is a hell of a talent. But you forget how young Curtis Jones is. He's only, what, 19, 20. He's homegrown and... Let's face it, you know, put put look at where he's at compared to some of the players of his age group, and there aren't many that, that you know. I think people have this this expectation that everyone has to be like Bellingham, where they have to be up here at, at such a young age. And I think with with you know Curtis Jones, he's in such a good team that he can take a bit longer to develop. Liverpool don't need to play him every week, and um, I think it'll do him some good. And I think he's a hell of a talent. You know, I, I really do. I think it is just a case of consistency finding his identity on the pitch a little bit as you've just said he he sort of floats between a few different roles doesn't he you know he's, he's played off the attack sometimes he, he plays as the more advanced midfielder because he dropped deeper and have a bit more control a bit more maturity um, but but I really like him I think he's a really good talent um, in terms of the substitution it's a difficult one because I think Klopp had a point after the game he said didn't he, he said you know I thought it worked quite well because we almost scored twice almost immediately after making it and he's not wrong you know like Salah and Mane both had really, really good opportunities to make it four-two, and if they do, you know, we're not we're talking about that substitution as being clever as turning the screw on a Brentford side. Which that you know, don't forget when Brentford scored the third goal, Liverpool were on top. Then Liverpool were pressing and looking like they were going to take the game away from them, and and I thought I thought they would. So I, I see Klopp's point, and I think it's quite easy to sit here and say, well, he should have brought another midfielder on or left Curtis Jones on it. It's it's a difficult. It's a difficult one, and managers have to make decisions, and they don't always go the way the way they want, do they? So it happened. I don't really think it was a bad or, or a good decision. It was just a decision he made. And in terms of the midfield, just just to make it another point, you know, I go back to a press conference earlier this season where um, an old friend of ours, James Pierce, asked Jürgen Klopp a question and got quite a fiery answer um, about his midfield options, and you know, he asked Klopp whether he. He'd considered signing a replacement for Wijnaldum. Klopp got quite fiery with him, didn't he? Got quite pointed and said, "Who would you sign?" You know, we've got we've got Naby Keita, we've got Harvey Elliott, we've got Curtis Jones, we've got Thiago, we've got, and he named all his options. But my issue, but about all of that thing is is that Klopp mentioned himself about Wijnaldum as his biggest asset was his reliability, and you list all those players, and I'm sorry, I, I don't. That I don't mean this to, to, to criticise them as players because they're all good players, but Keita, Thiago, Jones to an extent is young. You know, Harvey Elliott has suffered a freak injury, but you know, certainly Thiago and Keita have not been available enough. That that has been the problem since both of them arrived. And yeah, they've been unlucky, and and you can always, you know, hope hope that they stay fit, but the body of evidence suggests that they don't. And and. That that was to me what annoyed me in the summer about Liverpool and their sort of response to questions about recruitment was we don't need we've got X amount of players, but the whole point in my Adam is that he was fit and available every game, 
And you can't tell me that midfield is stronger without him. It, it just isn't. So that that frustrates me, and it frustrates me now. And that isn't a hindsight thing. It 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 was clear at the time, and that's why I think, you know, a lot of people argued that Liverpool needed a forward, but the forwards are often available. The midfielders aren't. I think they needed the midfielder, and I think, you know, again, Thiago is unavailable. Probably going to miss the Man City game, and Liverpool, have, you know. A, a, a light in that area and I don't think you can rely on Cater. so I've got a big problem with the midfield and, and I think it showed Klopp, Klopp said today um, in his press conference he basically admitted that he he never has a full complement of midfielders to choose from because there are, there's always someone injured um, so you know it, it, he's acknowledging that so um, you know it's what was the wisdom of letting 50 appearance, Gino and Alden leave without any thoughts of a, of a replacement. But, you know, we're raking over the, the calls there, aren't we? We've, we've discussed that. So we've been blue in the face for the best part of six months. It's, it's worth remembering as well. And, you know, this has just come to me now. It's not just Keita and, and Thiago. It's Henderson as well. Oxide Chamberlain has not been fit enough. You know, you know, you go through all the midfielders and, you know, I've just thought of that then. So... It's 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 blatantly obvious, and I thought Klopp was very unfair in um in, in the way he answered James's question that time because I th- I think as well it betrayed a little bit of of Klopp actually being slightly annoyed that he'd lost a very good player and um, that he relied upon and, and and bit back a little bit, but I think he was slightly unfair to to aim his frustration at James on that day. So um, yeah, no, that's that's fair enough as well, Joe. Sometimes when you make yeah. a point and someone else steps yeah. in, it gives you a chance to just think, yeah. when you're think about things, isn't it? Yeah, think, think, yeah, I should yeah. I should have said that. So yeah. yeah. No. Throwing yeah, Henderson yeah, and uh, yeah. and Dox in there as well. No, that's, yeah, that's 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 fair, fair enough. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. What one other thing we've we've spoken about till we're till we're blue in the face is, as Gorsley said there, Theo, is Mohamed Salah's goal scoring exploits. And easy to forget that he did get his hundredth league goal for the club in this game, albeit it seemed as though everyone wanted to focus on that missed chance that he had that, that could well have made it four two. But for the thousandth time, where would Liverpool be without the goals of Mohamed Salah? Exactly. He's just reaching these new levels and the fact that people are making such a big deal about the miss is because you expect him to score it because you've seen him in that situation and scoring that chance so many times before and you'll see him scoring that chance so many times again. But sometimes players do miss chances. They are human. It's not as though um, Cristiano Ronaldo scored again against Aston Villa. Players miss chances. They don't always score. But Mohamed Salah is still reaching new levels. And you look at the the list, he's what, into the top 10 now of Liverpool's all-time goal scorers. Realistically, you could be overtaking another two, three players on that list before the end of the season. And it's almost just becoming normal, isn't it? You expect him to go and score 30, 40 goals now every year because he is reaching those levels. And it is a case of these are potentially the best years of his career. When we're speaking about uh, Ronaldo or Messi in the past and their peak years, it was this sort of age where you see the best of Salah. And you can see now whenever he's on the ball, he's got that smile on his face again. He's really enjoying his football. And that's probably why he misses this chance when you think about it, because he is so confident at the moment that he expects everything he does to come off. And maybe it was a bit of a, a lazy chance um, opportunity when he's just chipped it rather than just rolling it into the corner. But then it could be something he needs. Like You're not going to just score every single chance. It's a reminder that you do need to take your chances and not just take it for granted that it's going to score. And you can imagine that that will be the one he will be unhappy with. He, yeah, he'll be celebrating the fact that he got his 100th goal, but he'll be disappointed he's not on 101. And he'll be going out to make it right in the Champions League against Porto and add another couple of, under his belt there. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. 
So let's look away from the Brentford game and those were maybe two points dropped for Liverpool. We'll have to wait and see in the grand scheme. If it was, may well be a point one on the road. But away from Liverpool, Gorsty, and elsewhere in the Premier League, surprise, surprise, after Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's rant, I suppose, are we going to call it, about not getting penalties and a very, very thinly veiled dig at Jurgen Klopp. Mm -hmm. He's like, get a penalty. Just so satisfying to see it fly over the top of the crossbar. <laughs> just, just the, the MUFC podcast, the Red, Red Devil. <laughs> I'm yeah. just saying, it, 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 any coincidence, do you think, that Solskjaer has that rant um, and all of a sudden he's, he's decided to get a penalty? I think it might be this time. I, I watched it back um, earlier today, catching up on the weekend's football, and I did think it was a penalty, to be honest. Courtney Hawes' hand is out quite a lot, so it was a bit of an easy one for the referee. It was Mike Riley, was it? Uh, not Mike Riley, Mike uh, Mike Dean. Um, I think that was probably um, one of the more obvious ones that they do get. But um, as I said on Friday's podcast about this, it's uh, clearly a tactic that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer has employed. It's probably his one main attacking tactic to send his players out there to get penalties. Not in terms of go down and jump around the floor every chance you get, but it's certainly a let's get in the penalty box, let's see what happens, let's take touches in there and see if we can win penalties because I don't see any kind of attacking pattern um, from United. There's no real clear way that they're trying to attack. It is just, at the moment, it just seems like they've packed a load of names onto a team sheet and they've got a bit of a, um, for lack of a better phrase, a cheerleader of a manager. I don't think there's ever been a manager... Um, reach the kind of level that he has with such a modest CV um, in Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. Um, so, yeah, um, I, I think that's just the way that Solskjaer sends his United team out to try and win penalties or relying on a bit of individual magic from one of their many key names, star names, to pull something off the fire. And, and on Saturday, it didn't work for them. And I think we might see that quite often, to be honest, this season. They were, they were quite fortunate not to, to draw with West Ham and... Um, Wolves, we were lucky to beat Wolves. So, uh, unconvincing start to the season of them so far. Yeah, and yeah, I suppose their title credentials haven't been challenged anywhere near as much as, as Liverpool's, Joe. But I suppose it does this weekend and, and wider, as I say, than Liverpool across the Premier League. Goes to show how, how difficult points are going to be to win in this season. Perhaps the most competitive in the 30 years of the Premier League. Yeah, that, that's why, as I said earlier, I, I just don't think... I can't say a season where one team goes and gets 90-odd points just because I, I can't see any team running away with it. You know, If you look through every single team, Liverpool obviously had such a difficult season last year. It's They're not going to be at the same level as they were two years ago. City do lack a striker, so for all their good play, I think at times, they, you know, even the Chelsea game at the weekend, and look, Chelsea are a tough team to, to break down. I watched it and I don't think City had all of the ball, but they didn't have a, a lot of great, great chances. Um Obviously, Gorsley's just touched upon United's problems. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't see any one side really running away with it. But, I, I mean, what you've just said, it, it does, tell you what, it really does annoy me that Liverpool get the sort of, the, the short shrift that they've been getting at the start of this season because the way they're dismissed, you know, the way everyone's talking about Chelsea, the way everyone's been talking about United, it, it, it is funny because we do have this recency bias, don't we, in the sense that like Chelsea sign a couple of players, yeah. get a new manager in, and it's suddenly like, 
was Chelsea Chelsea title favourites. Why? They, they don't have the again. They don't have the body of evidence that's built up on, over any period of time to show that they should be considered title favourites. I get with Man City, you never write Man City off because they're a very very good team. And even at the start of last year, where we thought perhaps they weren't at the peak of their powers, you know, they they show that they can put a run together. And you know, with City, City could go out and win. 15 games in a row right now and you, you wouldn't be surprised. But, but you know, Chelsea, I just find it bizarre. United, it's even more bizarre. You know, they've got a manager who's not qualified to, to manage Manchester United. They've got a collection of players who, you know, whilst, whilst skillful, don't exactly fit perfectly together. And, you know, like the likes of Harry Maguire, he's a bank average centre-half that's that, that playing for United. Well, he, well, he is. He's a bank average centre-half that, that, that isn't fit to lace Van Dijk's boots. Yeah, we, we, we look at them, you know, Varane, it's not the force he was. So I just find it, it annoys me, you know, that, that these teams get talked about, you know, and, and, you know, a lot of it's driven by, you know, the, the highest, you know, Gary Neville, for example, is, you know, you hear from him a lot, don't you? And he's on Twitter giving a Q&A today when he's asked where Liverpool have finished third or fourth. And I think, like, why would you expect Liverpool to finish below United? after what Liverpool have done. And I know they did last year, but let's just rem- remember last year, they had ridiculous amount of injuries. So you don't expect them to have that ridiculous amount of injuries. But what Liverpool have done over recent years is far better. So I, I just find it, I find it utterly bizarre the way they're dismissed. So to me, it's no surprise how well Liverpool have played sometimes this season and, and, and the way their rivals have played. But, um, you know, yeah, it annoys me. Can you tell? <laughs> yeah, just, just a bit, Theo. Does it annoy you as much as it annoys Joe? Um, probably not to be honest but then you just take it on the chin don't you uh, I I've, I think I've said it before during the summer you look at these sides that Liverpool up against for the title and City still lack the striker Chelsea they still wanted to sign a centre-back you think they've got some talented attacking players to support Lukaku but they're not proven to the extent of a Salah or a Mane yet like you see more Havertz and Pulisic it's potential rather than that world-class ability that will win you games and will just score every single match United, they desperately still need a good central midfielder. The fact that they're best central midfielder, they play left wing because they don't think he's good enough to play central midfield anymore. It's all very well having all these attacking players and giving Cristiano Ronaldo however much money to come back and win you a league or whatever they want him to do. But he didn't win the league for Juventus last year. He didn't win the Champions League for them, which was the whole point they signed him in the first place. But you look at Liverpool's team and the starting eleven is pretty complete. Like if the players play to the top of their ability, you can't really find many holes in it. Like the midfield three, we know is on paper one of the best in the league. It's all A-list names. The back five is the back five that won the Champions League and the Premier League. It's like the best centre back in the world, the best goalkeeper in the world, the best fullbacks in the world. The only question is whether the the strikers are good enough because you know Salah Mane will get you goals, but sometimes you still want that number nine that is going to get you 30, 40 goals a season. But it's still better to have Jota and Firmino than it is to have, what, Ferran Torres, whoever City try and disguise as a striker who isn't really there. So I'm kind of happy that you get people writing them off, like Gary Neville saying they're going to finish third and fourth, just because it means it's so hard to predict and it means that Liverpool have it more in their hands. Like last year, they were the side to beat, weren't they? That it was to take it off them and everyone was so delighted when it fell apart for them as an opposing fan. But then this year, it's like when they are being written off, you think there's more of that chance that they can come strong and it can be a throwback to what the year they won the Champions League, the year they won the Premier League. 
Yeah, we'll have to see. Right, let's get on to looking ahead to the game with Porto then. Gorsty, you were sitting in on Jurgen Klopp's pre-match press conference. And one of the lines I want to talk about immediately that I was really sort of interested was right at the end of the, the press conference was being asked about the leadership group. Of course, Virginia mm-hmm. Vinaldo moving on. He was one of four. Now there's six of them because of all the injuries last season. Yeah, I was I was surprised by that, actually. I, I remember writing um, the Blood Red column a few months back on basically now that Wijnaldum's left, there's a fourth spot open in that players' committee group, as, as Klopp calls it. So I kind of made the case for Salah. I thought um, probably mean a lot to him that he, he's, he'd be considered as as a captain. We know they kind of um, stink, for lack of a better term, than he made when he wasn't captain in Michelin and, you know, the... He, um, he obviously takes great pride in that. So I thought that it might have been him. Um, I could also see a case for Trent Alexander-Arnold, but I didn't expect Klopp to come out and basically just say he's turned the three-man committee into a six-man one now just because of the amount of injuries that they had last year. But um, so he has. It's um, you know it's obviously still Henderson and Milner and, and now and Van Dijk is in there. And now it's Trent, Andy Robertson and um, Alisson. Um, obviously the put a two-players vote and, and they were the three that come out on top. So I think it just kind of um, speaks to the amount of leaders that Liverpool have got in their squad. I mean, Klopp does it almost on the basis of who's been at the club the longest when he passes the armband um, to a player. So say if, if Henderson and um, Henderson and Milner aren't there, um, Van Dijk gets it. But then after that, it, you know, it's... You look on it like Divock Origi might, might get the Arman because he's been there since 2014 or Firmino and, and don't think his English is too great. But it seems as though he's just expanded it to a point where there's always going to be someone who's um, going to be stepping into the captain's role as a captain as opposed to just being there for, you know, hanging on for, for longer than anyone else. So, um, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't think it'll mean too much outside of the Liverpool bubble, but... Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's probably a good move. I'm going to go straight in, Joe, with it and, and ask the question that maybe a few people are wondering or those thinking, no, he shouldn't be burdened with that. But surprised that Mohamed Salah wasn't kind of amongst that number, given it is now six players. Yeah, you know you know what I was. Um, and I, I weirdly, I did slightly concern me because I think, you know, he, he, he was quite outspoken, wasn't he, at the time when he, he wanted the armband but against... Mithian, Mithian, Mithaland, sorry, sorry, I've just butchered that to any of our, our Danish friends. But um, yeah, um, I, he was quite outspoken about it. He obviously considers it quite a, a responsibility. And I, and I think it probably would sweeten the deal if you're trying to keep him at the club, wouldn't it, as well? So yeah, was slightly surprised actually that he wasn't in there. And I also think Salah, you know, I, 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 they obviously behind the scenes know, know, know very well, but just from the outside looking in, to me, seems like a bit of a leader. You know, obviously the way he leads on the pitch, you know, the way he looks after himself. You know, this is a guy who, what, he was doing laps of his pool at three in the morning after Liverpool had played the other, the other week. You know, he, he's a guy who just dedicates himself, um, you know, in, in the way that Cristiano Ronaldo does, you know, dedicates himself to his craft. So I was a little bit surprised, yeah, I think he'd make a good captain or certainly good contender to be in that group. So, 
yeah, surprised. I think it's a little bit of a shame, but I suppose it does speak to how many good leaders Liverpool have. You know, they have a lot of players that you'd be quite happy for them to take on that responsibility. Um, you know, Alisson was someone was in there, wasn't he? And you can tell, look at the way Liverpool reacted to his goal, to his interview, to everything that happened afterwards. I was quite pleased to see him in there because goalkeepers don't always, you know, obviously you've got Lloris at Tottenham, but you don't always see goalkeepers hold the armband. And, you know, I think with Alisson, he clearly is someone that the squad likes, respects, looks up to. So so that was good. But yeah, su- surprised that Salah wasn't in there. Glad we got a uh, another member of the goalkeepers union on the podcast, Joe. Nice to, to have you on board. More keepers should have the armband. Anyway, I'm only five foot seven. I can't be a goalkeeper. <laughs> yeah, Theo, what about Trent? Then is it the first signs of future Liverpool captain now coming to to bear? I suppose he has had the armband on occasion to end games in the past, but I suppose formally now recognition that he's on his way. Well, it felt like everyone had the armband at some point towards the end of last season. Uh, But then Trent has spoken in the past how he wants to be this Liverpool captain in the future. And he's been at the club a long time now. He's just signed this new long-term contract. He is very much part of the club's future as this lead and talisman of the club. And when you see the likes of Henderson or Van Dijk lose their place in the years to come when age catches up on them, and I'm talking five, six years down the line, without predicting who Liverpool are going to sign you wouldn't be surprised to see Trent as the captain. But then are we putting a bit too much importance on the armband? When you think in Liverpool have all these leaders in this team, whether they're captains for their international size or they've had the armband for Liverpool in the past, only one of them can wear the armband in the games. But they're all in the starting eleven, pretty much, aren't they? And they're all still offering those attributes. Maybe part of it is just because it was so important for Liverpool in the past. When you think of just in the Premier League, like Steven Gerrard, when it was iconic, wasn't it? It was what defined him as a Liverpool player, almost being this legendary captain. And now isn't as important as that because like James Milner is a great player, but he's not the best player in the Liverpool team. But if Henderson's out, you have no qualms at all about him leading that team out. And I just think some managers these days, they're not so bothered about it. Like you look at Manchester City, they do a, a vote for their captaincy at the start of every season. And I think Fernandinho's the captain. Last year, um, De Bruyne was the vice-captain. He led them out in the Champions League final. But the vote this year, he's lost that place. I think he's now down to fourth or fifth with Ruben Diaz overtaking him and maybe Gadungan as well. So it's like, well, they've still got them in the team. They're still leaders in the squads. It's maybe not as important who's got the armband on. Because if you, for some reason, took the armband off Jordan Henderson, for example, and wanted to give it to Trent, the way that Julia did with Hoopier and with Gerrard back in, what, 2002, 2003, you're still going to have that leadership there for Jordan Henderson. It's not going to make him any less of a player. He might be a bit miffed to lose the armband. I'm not saying he's going to lose the armband or anything, but they're still great players. They've got these leadership attributes, and it's why Liverpool have got this winning mentality now, why they nine times out of ten see games out, can challenge for trophies, can challenge at the top of the league. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Also speaking then to the press was Diogo Jota ahead of going back to one of his former clubs, Gorsty. And I have to say, of sort of all the responses he gave and everything, I was just really impressed with the manner in which he dealt with it all. Less than 12 months, a Liverpool player. And you can see just how much he's relishing being not just one of the team, but one of the, uh, the star performers, I suppose. Got another goal at the weekend and did speak about kind of coming into the club and having that task of picking up the, the fabled front three. Yeah, he was quite um, quite guarded. I thought every time I see Diogo Jota speak, he never gives too much away, and always just just about says enough to get through his answer without being particularly short. Um, I thought Klopp was quite good 
when he was asked about Jota actually, and he and he said, "Well, this guy is is almost the perfect player for us. Um, his work rate, he's got two good feet, he's good in the air, he's fast, he's mature, he's he's young, and and he's pretty much got everything that you need. And and so far he's he's shown that, hasn't he? You know, as a Liverpool player, I think the goal on Saturday was his eighth goal in his last nine away games. Um, seems to be really good in the air, which is um, strange when you, you you don't really consider him as someone who's you know known to be a bit of a target man, but he seems to score his fair share of others and yeah, um, has, has fitted into this Liverpool squad perfectly, hasn't he? Given Roberto for me a bit of a rocket, you know, as a challenger for that front three and, and when he starts now ahead of Firmino, you're not really surprised and you don't think it's a drop off in quality and he's been superb in, in his 12 months and yeah, I think um, I think him stepping up today, you know, about to return to his homeland, his, his former club, I think he was probably the right man to to step up and speak, wasn't he? And yeah, um, a kind of pointed of his, his growing responsibility within the squad. Yeah, that goal at the weekend as well seems kind of going off his face, off his cheekbone as well. But Joe, in terms of, I suppose, the, the expectation and the reality of kind of what Liverpool ended up getting with Diogo Jota... I suppose pound for pound, he must be up there with Mohamed Salah and, and maybe even surpassing Sadio Mane right now. But I suppose historically, when you look at it, alongside alongside those guys for what Liverpool thought they were getting was a backup forward. And he's now certainly a, a ready-made first choice. You know, obviously, I've come onto this this um, podcast with a bit of a chip on my shoulder today, but the, that sort of just backs up my my feelings that, like, again, Liverpool don't really get the credit they deserve. You know, that. They've obviously made a really, really good sign in there. You know, scored nine goals in 19 Premier League games last season. He's got three and three and six this year. You know, scores all different types of goals, doesn't he? You know, he's, he's really good in the air, surprisingly good for his for his height and his size. And, you know, scores with his left foot, his right foot, tap-ins, you know, all sorts of types of goals, can play in, in each position of, of the front three. So, honestly, just such a good signing. And again, you, when you look at it and you think, you know, these big money deals. And I get why, you know, I, I get why the Lukaku's and the Cristiano Ronaldo's of the, the world, you know, get get the credit, you know, that they do. They do. But Jota has been a revelation since he arrived at Liverpool. And it's almost just like, you know, I think if you ask most people in the country who, um, who are Liverpool's front three at the moment, they'd probably still throw Firmino in there. When I think Jota's sort of come to the fore now as the, as the more senior man there. So, I, you know, I think he's been... A really a revelation of a signing. I think the way he's he's come into Liverpool, it's like it's like he's played for them for years. Um, you know, the big step up he's had from Wolves. Again, just looking at his goals there, you know, he did manage sixteen goals, seven Premier League goals his final season with Wolves. But you know, he's he's improved upon that immediately. Just, I, I just think he fits into Liverpool's style of play. Again, it's another really really clever signing that sort of drifted drifted under the radar. So. Yeah, I mean, fair play to them, and, and and I think he's going to be key this season. Um, and and you'd back him to get twenty goals in all competitions, wouldn't you? You know the way he's way he started and the way he carries on. Um, so I'm really really pleased with him. Um, they deserve a, a lot of credit. 
Yeah, I think as well. I remember Wolves fans kind of sort of making the argument that they they had Pedro Neto there, they had Daniel Pedence, and actually it was kind of Liverpool taking Diogo Jota off their hands and, and doing them, I suppose, a bit of a favour to get those guys into the team. But what a signing he has been, and I suppose helped mask as well the drop off in form that Sadio Mane has certainly witnessed. But let's before we we go, let's get into our team selection then for the game with Porto to be played at Sadio Dragout. Gorsty Allison in. Goal, you can uh, talk us through what your back four would be. Maybe a, a night for Joe Gomez. Um, I mean, I'm surprised in the last Champions League game when Klopp took out Van Dyke and played Gomez alongside Matip, but I think maybe give Matip a bit of a breather, um, bring Gomez in alongside Van Dyke, and everyone else stays the same. Theo, what do you reckon? Because I have to say, personally, I wasn't sure if the defensive vulnerabilities at the weekend maybe were a case of chopping and changing these defenders and accept that Matip might well eventually get an injury, but keep Van Dijk and, and, and uh, Matip together until one of them is injured and has to be taken out. No, I think it's still going to rotate. You don't want to have them playing three games a week when they're still feeling the way back. Um, but I'd say it's probably Van Dijk that drops out just because Matip has had the, the two games off last week didn't he and then it's it's a tough call the who do you go with between um gomez and canate um joe gomez i suppose he's more stable he's had the experience but he's coming back from injury as well it's whether he's still got that adrenaline canate i suppose he's more like for like for van dyke and it'll be good to see him get another opportunity so i think i'll lean towards canate uh, in for van dyke trent's obviously at right back and Maybe it's another chance for Simicast because he's playing so well when he is given the opportunity and Robertson's not at the best form. It's like, do you hope Robertson can play into form or do you just keep giving Simicast these opportunities to see if he can make the shirt his own? Um, I think there's a bit of rotation in the past when it was more level between Moreno and Robertson. So, yeah, let's see what Simicast can do for this one because you'd be expecting Robertson to start against Manchester City, wouldn't you? So probably more chopping and changing for now. Uh, okay, Joe, what do you reckon? I think this is his hardest team selection of the season so far because I think Porto's a really tricky game, especially away from home. They've got a lot of good players. Um, and as Theo's just said with Van Dijk, you rest him ahead of City, you know, you want him you want him available for that game. But then do you play him again after a bit of a wobbly game on, on, on Saturday? I'm going to lean towards playing him. I'm taking that risk. Play Van Dijk like... Gorsi, I get Gomez in there. I thought I think Gomez did well in the games he's played this season. You know, obviously shaky moments at the end of the first half against Milan, but otherwise I thought equipped himself well. Was he was very good at Norwich, um, and considering he's come back from a horrific injury, um, has played well. So I'd have Gomez in there, and unlike Theo, I'd have I'd have Chimikas because I think he's just impressed so much this season that he deserves his chance, especially with Robertson not quite being in form. And again, like with Theo, I think Robertson will play against Man City. So, yeah, Jimmy Gasson and Gomez in for Matip and Robertson. Theo, come back to you then on the midfield. What's your three? Or is it a two? Um, it's a three. Going to start James Milner. Um, Going to let Jones keep his place. And then it's between Fabinho or Henderson at the number six. Uh, I'll go with Fabinho just because... It's more his position, isn't it? And Henderson seems more likely to be in and out the the team this season. 
Okay, Gorsley, what about yourself? Jurgen Klopp was asked about team news and he said other than the long-term injuries, we're all good. He mentioned Harvey Elliott and mentioned Thiago. So we're expecting an extended spell on the sidelines for him as well as obviously what your midfield three is going to be. Yeah, possibly. It um, reminds me of last year when he got that knock from Richarlison and just appeared to be a bit of an impact knock and every week almost you're waiting for the updates and, and you keep getting told that he's not back yet, he's not back yet. And before you know it, he's out for three months. Uh, I hope it's not anything there like that. But so far, it just tends to be a bit of a vague, he's not in for this one, he's not in for this one. Kate is back. Um, hard to believe he miss, he's missed 135 minutes because he kicked the floor at Norwich on Tuesday night. But that probably gives you a bit of an idea of, of his... Um, don't know, really. Um, just kind of reminds me a bit of... Daniel Sturridge, where if, if they weren't 100%, then they, they were injured. Um, but uh, he's back in contention. Um, and I, I can't imagine Fabinho to have another game as poor as that, so I'm going to stick with him. I'll stick with Henderson. Uh, and go on, I'll, I'll bring Cater back in for this one. Joe? Yeah, um, I think I'd go with the same as Gorsty. I think so. Um yeah, I mean, I mean, for the same reasons, really. I think Fabinho is sort of an ever-present, isn't he? And, and someone that, yeah, I don't think he'd have as bad a game as he did Sunday, uh, Saturday. Um, Henderson, you want him in there for experience. I suppose, actually, I suppose I will be tempted to rest someone, whether, whether you switch Henderson Field or that situation, just because you want them. You don't want to risk any more midfield injuries for, for Sunday. And then Cater, I mean, I shouldn't laugh at what Gorsley said there and kicking the floor, but it, it is... A frustration with Cater, isn't it? That every single time he gets started, it, it only has to be a little niggle, but it's one or two games out, and it does feel like he's one of those players who just isn't quite, you know, ready to play if it, if he's feeling something. Um, you know, and I think you know you wrote it in your piece, didn't you? Recently, Gorsley, it's quite telling, isn't it? What Klopp said about storage all those years ago. He needs to learn pain and, yeah. and real pain and. I, th- I think that is telling because I think there's players. It's no coincidence that someone like Carragher hardly ever missed a game, is it? You know, and I think just everyone's different. Everyone has different thresholds. I mean, I struggle to get out of bed in the morning these days, so I, I can't can't say too much. But yeah, I just want Kate to get a bit of a run of games because you feel like, and you know, we've been burnt before, but you feel like he could be someone that could be- make a bit of an impact this season. So yeah, I'd throw Kate through as well. But I'm going to stick with Henderson. So Fabinho, Henderson, Kate. Yeah, that's what you said. Yeah, yeah, no, that is the same as Yeah, no, I think you take it more as a a bonus when he is fit, actually. Yeah, almost. As opposed to you take it as ready's injured, and then when he's fit, you go, oh, yeah, he's up for selection. But anyway, Sturridge in the end, wasn't it? Yeah, Yeah. no, exactly, exactly. Very much along those, those, and I suppose Adam Lallana even at times as well. But Joe, what about the the front three? Um, I'd go for Firmino. I'd get him back in, um, Salah, because um, he's just just ever present, and Jota. Um, and, and look, I don't subscribe to these like Mane is awful sort of sort of things that have been going around recently. And, and look, he, he has he's not quite there, is he? He's not quite on it like we've seen him on it before. But to me, he's still a menace. Every game, you know, he gets the ball, he attacks, he drives teams back, he he gets himself into good positions, and the goals will come. I'm, I'm sure of it. You know, I think he's just. Too much of a good player. He never hides. So I, I'm a big fan of Mane, but I do think he's the, the natural one to rotate out and, and still have him playing Sunday. Um, 
But, you know, I'd just like Firmino for some of these away games, especially in the Champions League. I think it, it works for him. Do you go along with that, Theo? And, and if so, how big a opportunity and I suppose audition is it ahead of taking on Man City for Roberto Firmino? I'd say it's an audition for Mane, Firmino and Jota, really. Like, as Joe says, Salah's the ever-present. But then you could argue that the other three, you could see any of them drop out at the moment because Mane will have one good game, then he'll have one bad game. He's not at the, the heights we've seen in the past. Jota's been a bit inconsistent as well. And then Firmino, he had a good pre-season, got the injury at the wrong time, and we're still waiting to find out if he's first choice or not. I know Joe says uh, he thinks Jota is now and Firmino's maybe dropped out. Well, I'm guessing we'll, we'll find out this weekend, won't we? Because if it's Firmino up front, he's still very much in that first choice front three because if you're playing against Man City, then you're playing him for a must-win Premier League title decider or a Champions League final. Uh, you can make argues for any of them. Sadio Mane's had good luck, good form against Porto in the past. Diogo Jota, it's what his former club back in his homeland, chance to impress. Then you want to see Firmino have a game, see if he's got some form in his legs, if he can get that injury out of his system and just turn it on ahead of playing City at the weekend. Uh, it's, it's such a hard one to call. I, I think I'm going to go for the traditional front three for this one. Let Mane keep his place and then Jota can come off the bench and then it's any one of those three could drop out against City. Where are you going, Gorsley? Are you going to change things up or are you going to agree with one of the guys? Yeah, I agree with everything Joe said, to be honest, in terms of... You two have a symmetry going on here. You agreed with your midfield, you agree with his attacking <laughs> yeah. line. You have great minds and all that. Um, yeah. I, I, do, I agree with... No, so his bosses, doesn't he? <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm not. I'm not. That's the ironic thing. I'm not. He's, he's got holiday <laughs> approval just waiting for it to, to go through. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I agree with starting Jota and, and Firmino and, and Salah, but I do think the, the Mane is doomed narrative is, is being exaggerated a little bit. He still scored three goals this season and okay, Mr. Halfwell against Leeds and it was almost becoming embarrassing for him before he finally got it, but um, he's going to be a massive player this season for Liverpool as he has been every season. So um, keep him well rested for Sunday because um, he's, he's got he's got a bit of previous against Man City, hasn't he? I think so. Um, yeah, Jota on the left, Firmino and, and Salah. Yeah, interesting then to see how it goes quickly then before we go. Predictions on the result. Gorsley first, then Theo and, and Joe to finish us off. How's it going to play out? So fun, isn't it? Um, I mean, still the same manager that Liverpool have beaten 9-1 over, you know, the aggregate score across the last two visits. I'm not sure if the, if the squad is much different. I think Cancel and Bemba might be suspended. Um so, go on, I'll, I'll back Liverpool. I'll, I'll say 2-0. Uh, it's not going to be 5-0. It's not going to be 4-1. Let, let's say Liverpool score three, just because that seems to be the go-to at the moment. I'll go 3-1. I'm going to go on do a full-on doily here and say a 1-1. Um, I, I just don't know. I just feel like there's something about this Porto team that I think people are sort of dismissing. And I think away from home might be... Slightly more tricky for Liverpool. A 1-1, which isn't a bad 1-1, by the way, if that makes sense. Yeah, they've been dubbed the whipping boys of the group, haven't they? But they did come out of pot three, so they're by no means minnows. And Yeah, we'll have to wait and see. Yeah. What was that, Gorsty? Beat Atletico. 
Yeah, exactly. So it's not going to be an easy game, certainly out there. So let's end up seeing how it does play out. Of course, you can follow all of the match coverage across on the Liverpool Echo with the live match blog. Plenty of reaction to come as well, of course, here on the Blood Red YouTube channel. Do subscribe if you haven't done so already. And we will, of course, bring you the post-game podcast as well, wherever it is you get your audio on demand. But from myself, Guy Clark, Paul Gorst, Joe Rimmer and Theo Squires, thanks for your time and company. It's bye for now. You've been listening to the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.